Hi, it's Rabbi Jim Egolf, and I want to thank you so much for joining me. This is the second of the sermons that I delivered on Rosh Hashanah this year, and we're going to take a look at probably one of the most reviled prayers in all of the High Holiday Liturgy, one that tends to make us quake and shake and doesn't necessarily make us feel good about ourselves, and yet, you know, at the same time, there's some truths to be found in it. And while Unatana Tokuf is not an easy prayer, it may be because its honesty really bothers us that it's not easy. But we'll get to that in a moment. Again, I thank you so much for joining me. You can always email me at rav as in victor, jim, at aol.com, or you could call me at 610-624-3441. Again, I thank you for joining me. Five years ago, I wrote what I consider to be the most difficult sermon I ever constructed. It emerged after a particularly difficult year, which had relocated my family to Atlanta. New jobs, new home. We were far away from old friends. At that point, I was the associate rabbi of a huge congregation, nearly four times the size of my current congregation. All this would have been difficult enough, yet during this year, my wife and I lost our second pregnancy, a son who did not make it to life for still undetermined reasons. I began to write my sermon for these sacred days, and um, I wrestled with what to say and how to say it. It seemed that the prayer most often associated with the High Holidays was indeed the prayer that had described our lives that year. Unantana Tokov. Who shall live? Who shall die? Who shall see ripe age? Who shall not? Who shall be driven? And who content? Each line of Unantana Tokov brought a new, strange connection to where we found ourselves. It was, it was as if each line had targeted our lives, our family, and our difficulties during that year. As I prepared to walk out and give the sermon, one of the Bema guests turned to me and casually asked, So, Rabbi, what are you going to preach on? I answered, Unatana Tokov. He got a strange look on his face and said, You know, the Rabbi Emeritus hates that prayer. Great, I thought. I'm preaching on the one topic that has been off-limits in this congregation for decades under his leadership. This was not the first time I had experienced some resistance to this particular prayer. I've had several congregants who have gotten up and walked out or decided not to come in during the reading of this particular passage. And um, their discomfort um, echoes the words of another colleague who said, quote, he rejects Unatana Tokov because of his strong belief in free will, and he does not include it in the liturgy that he leads on the High Holidays. 
and concluding that the plain meaning of the text is too much to interpret away. Ultimately, he says, Unatanatokov is a relic of a time gone by. It should remain a sacred text for academicians, hidden away in libraries and never seen by the common public. While we don't like this prayer, there is one problem with our disdain for it. We know, deep in our souls, that the prayer expresses a truth about our lives, how we live, and what's most important to us. And, and here's the irony. We willingly surround ourselves with the contents of Unatanatokov. We listen to the news. We read papers. We watch commentary after commentary. And whether we are aware of it or not, we willingly bring the elements of Unatanatokov into our lives. We we even go so far as to get a sense of satisfaction for being in the know about current events. Yet when we place these beside our prayer, you quickly can see the parallels. There's one difference between the headlines of a paper and our prayer. In the paper, the events have already occurred. The deed is done, the catastrophe unleashed. In the prayer, we talk about what might happen and about the fears each person faces as he or she walks through and reads this prayer. Regardless of how disturbing any of us find Unatanatokov, it speaks to the existential truth of our lives. This truth, all too readily we accept uh, when it comes to the blessings that are found in Unatanatokov. We only find ourselves alone and angry and scared when we must face the tragedies. We read stories in newspapers printed on destroyed forests about dead children, dead animals, the destruction, and discard them either in the trash or maybe if we're trying to assuage our consciences, we put them in the recycling bin. Unutanatokov is the stuff of the evening news. Time, Newsweek, USA Today. We have no problem with commercials that tell us to buy more material goods. Chanel number five. Juxtaposed against stories about the slaughter of entire villages. We give these, the irony of it, we give these our time and attention. Yet we rarely get to have a moment where we reflect on the news on the lines of Unatanatokov passing before us. When we realize that the stories in the news could happen to any of us, that is when we realize that we are in this prayer. We live in this prayer every day. Though the illusion most of us have is that Unatanatokov and the news are about other people, not about us. When Unatanatokov comes home, when it rises in the voices of our cantor and choir, when the chords ring in our ears, it reminds us that none of us are capable of escaping the fearful elements of this prayer. And then it finally bothers us, and it should bother us. But these negative lines are only half of the prayer.
The other half doesn't get our attention. Things like who shall be born? Who shall complete his years? Who shall be at rest? Who serene? Who wealthy? Who humbled? Who exalted? Who at ease? Imagine, if you will, an evening of news or an NPR hour or an inquirer that only decided to do nothing except tell us about the birth of children, stories about people who succeeded in touching and embracing their dreams. This would be a program about the philanthropy of all, the reflective thinking of an entire people, and the prayers uttered not just for themselves, but for the world. How would we feel to hear an entire hour or two devoted to the most important aspirations people might try to attain? I can't call Unatanatokov, as did my colleague, a relic of a time gone by. In fact, I think we know deep in our hearts that this prayer describes what we face, both the good and the bad, both the anxieties and the possibilities of our human condition. For this service and this prayer, we are not called to attack it because it bothers us. Rather, the prayer calls us to strive for the good and righteous acts that we can do if we have the courage, the character, and the faith to act as opposed to judge. Unatana Tokov is an easy target for us to dismiss as a relic. What we overlook in choosing to disregard this prayer is that it also calls us to be different, to act for the good, to create in ourselves possibilities so that our community and our world can have a different future. You know, how do any of us take Judaism or any of our faiths seriously if we refuse to speak to both the bad and the good with a sacred language and currency. Folklore and nice stories don't cut it when we stand on the precipice of despair. Likewise, how do we celebrate our successes and accomplishment when we feel that we were entitled to them in the first place? I look back on that moment before I walked up onto the bima. I realized that I did exactly what I was supposed to do. We all face Akedah moments, like the one that comes from the Torah portion on Rosh Hashanah morning. Hopefully not as drastic, but often as painful as having our hopes, dreams, and most precious gifts taken from us. Our response as Jews is to return, pray, and give back. And I, and I realize now this is exactly what I did. Several times I walked back through the events that led up to our year of Unatanatokov, and several times I found myself with the same answer. There's nothing else I could have done to change the outcome of our situation. There's nothing else I could have done to save our child. Returning to Shuva is not just about repenting but it is asking what chances we still have to make a difference. For some of us, sadly, the answer is none. Yet if there is a chance that you can make a difference, return and find the ways to touch someone else 
I personally found my way back to prayer. And I got to be very honest. It was hard at first to choke out Kaddish and not have the invisible waves of emotion well up inside me as I thought about this little boy who both my wife and I had felt move in her belly not be with us. And, And the truth about these emotions is that the emotions still happen. I, I can't tell you where it comes from or, or why certain moments cause it. What I can tell you is that it exists and it always will. That is the price and privilege of memory. I also found a way to give back in my sermon that morning, though I didn't know the impact I would have at that time. After I left the Bema that morning, no fewer than 50 women and two men approached me with, under the presumption or the intent to speak only to descend into their own tears. I know they were trying to say thank you. And they were expressing that they too had been in similar situations as Rebecca and I had been in. They too had sat and wrestled with this prayer these holidays in their own grief. Now, perhaps for the first time, they had words for their pain, and it came from their bima. The words reminded and reaffirmed them by saying, You're not alone. Grief and pain hurt all of us. We can't escape the contents of this prayer. If we could, we wouldn't be human. What we can do is respond to the sorrow we feel by responding with our tradition and each other. God and Torah can't take away the pain, but sorrow is lessened when we can give it sacred status. When we find our tradition knows our pain, it becomes real to us and we discover the possibility, the way, and hopefully find the courage to overcome it, or at least live with it and understand it when it shows up and causes us sorrow. So back to our prayer. First, Unatanatokov will not make you feel great and fantastic and wonderful because the way we face the worst in life will never be easy. However, we can name our pain. We can share it. We can pray and find community around it. And then, while we will not get a magic wand and just miracle after miracle of feel-good, we will find that which we need to thrive, heal, and live again. Life won't get easy because we can be angry at a prayer that describes our condition. We will only become healthier because we walk with others and, in a sacred way, we share our strength. L'shana tova umetuka May you have a wonderful year and a sweet year.